All right. We are in Luke chapter 8 this morning and uh, looking at an interesting story. The story is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and, uh, but we're going to be focusing on Luke's version of this story <clears throat> and really just pull out of it these three things that I think are critical for a father to show their kids. And so if you read with me in Luke chapter 8, verse 40, it says, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Just then, a man named Jairus came. He was a leader of the synagogue. He fell down at Jesus' feet and pleaded with him to come to his house because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. And while he was going, speaking of Jesus, the crowds were nearly crushing him. Now, this story is then picked up again in verse 49, but in all of the accounts of this story, it's seemingly interrupted by another story that is, that is told in verses 43 through 48. And although it seems like an interruption to the story, I really believe it sets the table for Jairus' story. Now just to recap this interruption, in verses 43 through 48, it's a story of a woman who had a bleeding disease and she approached Jesus, touched his robe, and she was instantly healed. And so in that story, Jesus with this crowd pressing around him, goes, who touched me? And the disciples were like, um, everybody, right? You're being crushed by the crowd, Jesus. What do you mean, who touched you? And Jesus is like, no, 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 I, I, I felt power go out from me. Who touched me? And then the woman, it says in the story, realizing that she was, quote, discovered, which is the word used there, it says she fell down before Jesus, told him the reason that she touched him and how she was instantly healed. Now, I want you to keep in mind that the story opened up with, with Jesus coming back to its Capernaum is where he's at right now, and he's walking through. All the people are expecting him. Crowds are around him. The leader of the synagogue comes up to him. It says, falls down and says, Jesus, my daughter's sick. She's dying. Can you help? And then right as Jairus is on the ground in front of Jesus, pleading with him to come to his house, this incident with the woman, Jesus stops, goes, wait a second, someone touched me? You know, turns around, sees the woman, she's like, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I touched you, I reached out, and I, and I was instantly healed. But Jairus, he's watching all of this. He's listening to all of this. He's likely possibly still on the ground in front of Jesus, pleading with Jesus as he stops and turns around and sees this woman. But here's the interesting detail. In Luke chapter 8, 48, Jesus says to the woman who touched him, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, I don't think Jesus saying daughter to this woman was mere coincidence. I'm sure it, it, it blessed her greatly. It reassured her of her value to Jesus. But I think Jesus was talking to Jairus as well. He was speaking to Jairus as well. Jairus, you're here asking me to heal your daughter. And I just answered you by my action of healing a daughter. Pretty amazing, right? So then in verse 49, the story of Jairus picks back up. While he was still speaking to the woman, or while he was still speaking, and it's referring to the woman, someone came from the synagogue leader's house and said to Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. When Jesus heard it, he answered him, Don't be afraid. Only believe, and she will be healed. 
After he came to the house, he let no one enter with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her. But he said, stop crying because she's not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. So he took her by the hand and called out, child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. This little girl here that was healed, she saw three things that her dad did. Three things that I believe majorly impacted the rest of her entire life. And the first thing is that she saw a dad who was unashamed to seek Jesus. If you go back to verse 41, there's that detail there that I've mentioned a couple times already. Her dad was a leader of the synagogue. The Greek word used there for leader, it's archon. It's a word that indicates that he was the highest ranking spiritual leader in town. He was the senior pastor, if you will. He was the the bishop over all the religious stuff that took place there, whatever you want to call it. But he was the senior ranking spiritual official. Now, as I mentioned, they were in the town of Capernaum, and if you ever get an opportunity to to take a trip to Israel and to go on a tour, um, I've been there twice already, and you can actually stand in the ruins of the synagogue that this man was a leader of. There's the, you have the, the ruins of the original foundation that they really believe is the synagogue of the time, and then there was one built on top of it, but you can stand there, and it's just, it's really cool to think of these stories. But this man, he was the leader there. He was the highest ranking spiritual official. And so what that means is that he would supervise the worship for the synagogue. He would organize the entire service of their regular worship on the Sabbath. He would plan all of the worship. He would choose which which, uh, scrolls of scripture would be read that day. And then he would handpick the person who would give the message. So he was kind of like the senior pastor the church administrator, and the worship leader all at the same time. Now, this tells us that he was very likely a very well-known, a very highly esteemed, and obviously a very religious guy in the community. Some scholars look at the story and they believe that, that Jairus was a Pharisee, although it doesn't say that there. They believe that he was a Pharisee based upon the word used for him as a leader there in the synagogue. Now, I bring up that detail because the question is, is what effect would that detail have on the story if he was or wasn't a Pharisee? Well, if you're a Bible student, you know that at this time in Jesus' ministry, his greatest enemies were the Pharisees. His greatest enemies were the Pharisees, the Jewish religious leaders who stood against him and really hated what he was doing. And so it would have been a huge deal for, for a well-known religious Pharisee to actively go out and seek Jesus. Now, we don't know that detail particularly there, but regardless, Pharisee or not, Jairus is a, is a very important local Jewish leader. But more than that, he's a dad who is desperate because his daughter is dying. She's sick, and he will do anything. I just want to point out real quick there, you know, the, the, the picture here of, of Jairus experiencing this tragedy in his family. You know, it, it doesn't matter how important you are or you think you are. 
It doesn't matter how spiritual you are or how spiritual you think you are. It doesn't matter how high you are on the social ladder or the corporate ladder. You're never at a place where trouble can't find you. You're never at a place where trouble can't find you. Pain touches everyone. And you can't be so rich, so famous, so important, so spiritual that pain will never come into your life. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts to us in our pain. Pain is God's megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Well, Jairus was roused. The pain in his life, the suffering his daughter was going through had roused him, and so he went looking for Jesus. And this is the important detail here. He went looking for Jesus, right? He, he put aside his status. He put aside his standing in the community, specifically as a Jewish leader. He set aside uh, any pride he may have had. He set aside any prejudice that he may have had about Jesus. And he goes to seek him out because his daughter is at the point of death. And when he does so, he watches as someone Jesus calls daughter is healed simply by believing that Jesus could. Now, it's an interesting note for fathers and guys in general, I think, to some degree. Um, He didn't send his wife to get Jesus. There was no, honey, you're into this Jesus stuff. Can you go get him for me? Honey, you're more spiritual than I am. Can, Can you go find Jesus? Can you go get him? He doesn't send a servant or a friend. He himself gets up and goes to seek Jesus. And on top of that, he doesn't come at nighttime like Nicodemus did, but during the daylight, in the broad daylight, in the middle of crowds of people. This ruler of the synagogue was so desperate for his child's needs to be met that he didn't care what anybody thought of him seeking out Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't care But as a father, he took responsibility and took action. Now, you notice there in the verses, it says he fell down at Jesus' feet. Now, that phrase fell down simply means to go from being upright to not being upright, right? Fall down, right? That's all it means. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 18, the same story is told with with a little bit uh, different language, a little bit more forceful language. But it says in Matthew 9, 18, as he was telling them these things, as Jesus was talking to others, suddenly one of the leaders came, and it's speaking of the leader of the synagogue, and it says he knelt down before Jesus. Now that phrase knelt down in the original language means to worship. It's referring to someone bowing down in front of a deity in worship. So we put the story together from, from Luke and Matthew. We, f- we see that he fell down in worship before Jesus, this ruler of the synagogue, this leader of the synagogue. You know, I think a dad's greatest example, and I've seen this from many of the fathers in this church over the years with their kids, the greatest example, one of the greatest lessons, the greatest legacies a dad could leave for their kids is the example, the lesson of seeking Jesus unashamedly. Unashamed to seek after Jesus, to bow down in worship of him, 
to lead their families to do so, to example that for their children. You know, dads in the church, you're, you're called to, to a spiritual leadership in your families. You're called to be the spiritual leaders in the families. Not your wife, not your kids, not someone else. You, you're called. More importantly, you're equipped by God himself to be the spiritual leader in your family. And this example to leave behind is is to be a, a, a spiritual leader who doesn't care what others think about them seeking Jesus. Who doesn't care about their status in that regard. They don't care about how seeking Jesus affects their standing or their pride or their place in the community or anything else. None of that keeps them from seeking out Jesus and bowing before him in worship and being that example for their kids. And as I said, I've, I've been here at Hosanna for 20 some odd years and, and I've seen so many examples of, of, of the fathers that, have, that I've come to know in this fellowship. Those of you that have raised your kids here at Hosanna and those that have been fatherly in the lives of kids who maybe didn't have fathers who were seeking after God and, and I've watched the effect and the fruit the, of, of the work and the, the intent and the discipleship and, and all of the, the effort that you've done towards being a good example to your kids and thank God for you. Thank God for you because we look around the world today and I don't know if you would agree with me or not but the world today needs good dads being good dads, exampling good things for their kids. And the negative fruit of a lack of dads in kids' lives we see around the world today with anger and hates and violence and crimes and all of these, these horrible things because these kids grow up and they didn't have a father figure in their lives to teach and mentor and guide and lead them in, in the right things, in the godly things. There's a serious reality of fatherhood. You're, if you're a dad, you're either leading your family closer to God or you're leading them further away from God. There's really no middle ground here. And you know, part of the curse, I think, for guys, guys, males, we're really good at trying to find that middle ground where I'm not responsible, it's not my fault, it's not my, I don't have to step up, and then, and then what happens because we do nothing, well, that's not on me. We're really good at, at trying to find that middle ground, but the reality is, is, is if you're doing nothing, you're doing something, just not the right thing. Now, it's interesting, uh, I noticed something in, in Ephesians chapter 6 as I was uh, studying and preparing for this. And you know, Ephesians 5 and 6 is a very well-known portion of scripture. Um, it's, it's where Paul goes through the roles in the, of the family, right? Ephesians 5 is often used you know, in, in, in marriage ceremonies where it talks about husbands, love your wives, wives, respect your husbands, children, obey your parents. But then as he finishes chapter 5 and goes into chapter 6, Paul writing, he comes to a section on, on how to deal with children, right? And he addresses parents, But what's interesting is he doesn't address both the parents, just the fathers. He says in Ephesians chapter six, verse four, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Now I thought you just gave instructions to husbands and instructions to wives and instructions to the kids. Why don't you address both fathers and mothers here? 
Well, there's a few possible reasons. One is 2,000 years ago, at the time of the writing of this, fathering was, was really an area of great neglect in the, in the social fabric of the time. Parenting was not real high on a father's radar at those times, and so Paul may have been just to dads themselves, hey dads, <laughs> you, know, you need to take an active role in the parenting process. Um, another reason, or possibly the reason he says, you know, don't stir up anger in your kids is, is maybe sometimes, and I, and I don't know people that have experienced this, where, where dads can sometimes be harsh with their kids, you know, a little, a little too aggressive, um, you know, beyond just being firm, but, but being, you know, sometimes unkind. And, you know, dads oftentimes with their bigger frames and deeper voices can come off more intimidating than mom does. And, 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 and maybe this harshness can stir up anger in kids sometimes. But the third reason, and I think this is more kind of where, where Paul is uh, aiming here, is that he's simply addressing the head of the home. He's simply addressing the head of the home. Certainly there's a partnership in parenting, you know, there was a time when, you know, the norm was dad went to work and mom was home with the kids. In today's world, especially in Southern California, this is largely, you know, not, not possible or extremely difficult for young couples with young children because they both have to work just to pay the bills, right? So it's kind of a different paradigm now, but, but you know, the partnership is more important than ever, obviously, if both parents have to work. But Paul here, I think, is just saying, look, fathers, don't forget it's a partnership, but, but as head of your family, you're the one that's ultimately responsible. So be involved. Be involved, because you're the one that's responsible as the head of the family. Now, why is the father's involvement in specifically what Paul mentions here, the training and instruction of the Lord, why is that so important? Why is it so important for dads to be involved, specifically in the spiritual instruction and training of their kids? Well, I think it's because a child's view of God is influenced greatly by their relationship with their father. And I've experienced this multiple times over the years. You know, think about it. The Bible tells us that God is our heavenly father. Heavenly father, right? We call him our heavenly father. Now, if a child has a real bad relationship with their earth, earthly father, then what happens is as they grow and that child thinks of heavenly father, those negative connotations, those negative associations start to bleed into their concept of who God is. Because they go, well, my earthly father was like this, that's how my heavenly father must or might be. Another reason I think Paul is really, really, really focusing in on the dads here with this is, is you know, your child is gonna grow up and they're likely gonna marry somebody today. You know, right? So dads, your daughter needs to know what type of man to look for. You need to set the example in the bar for that. Your son needs to know what type of man to be. What type of man to be as a husband. And what type of man to be as a father. And, and, and dads, you, you set that example. You set that example, and, and so the question is, is that example of someone who unashamedly pursues Jesus in every area of their lives? You know, so Paul in Ephesians 6, 4, specifically to the dads, you know, fathers, actively, you know, positively nurture your children to maturity. Don't, don't, don't stir them up to wrath. Don't stir them up to anger, but, but nurture them and, 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 and be active in, in helping them grow and mature, especially in godly things in the Lord. 
be an example of unashamedly seeking and pursuing Jesus no matter what. And so Jairus here is seeking out Jesus. He hears the hope that his daughter can indeed be healed. But then verse 49, the bomb drops, doesn't it, right? While he was still speaking, someone from the synagogue leader's home came and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Just imagine that moment, right? I don't know how difficult it was for him to to get the nerve to go seek Jesus. I imagine there might have been at least some trepidation there because of his position in the community and position in the synagogue. But he finally did it, and he got out there, and he finally sought him out, and he said, I don't care about the crowds, and I don't care about all these people who know who I am seeing me seek Jesus. I don't care about any of that. I'm finally here. I fall down. I'm falling down in worship of him going, look, you know, I am publicly stating here now and risking my entire reputation that I believe that you could heal my daughter. And then it's too late. Did he wait too long? Did he not act soon enough? Could he have done more? Could he have been more aggressive sooner and not caring about things? You know, all of these thoughts could have been going through his head. But in verse 50, it says, when Jesus heard it, he answered him, don't be afraid, only believe, and she will be saved. What did Jesus just tell the woman that touched him? Daughter, your faith has saved you. What does he now turn around and tell Jairus? Don't be afraid. Only believe, and she will be saved. That phrase, only believe there, is in a certain Greek tense that means believe and keep on believing. Don't stop believing is what he's telling him. Look, Jairus, look, the, the, the faith that you've already moved in, the faith that got you up out of your house this morning, the faith that propelled you out here, the belief, the faith that I could and, and, and I would, and, and, and everything that got you to this moment, don't give up now. Keep believing. And, and some of you dads, your kids are suffering right now in this world. Maybe some of them are suffering by their own decisions and they're, they're living lives and, and pursuing things that are just destructive and hurtful and hateful, walking away from God. And, and you've come to Jesus and you're like, man, I've come to his feet so many times and said, God, heal my son, heal my daughter. And, 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 you know, and, and maybe you're tempted even this morning to give up. I think Jesus is speaking to you this morning and saying, look, keep believing. Don't give up. Don't let the fear consume you. Don't let the fear override your life. Keep believing. You know, and dads, I think one of the greatest behaviors you can show your kids is that of a father who keeps on believing in Jesus, keeps seeking in Jesus, keeps pursuing him through all the ups and downs, trusts him through all the ups and downs, and in the process of seeking, in Jesus, seeking Jesus and trusting Jesus through all the ups and downs is unashamed while doing it. And so the first thing she saw was a dad who sought Jesus. The second thing his daughter sees is a dad who brought Jesus home. Right, go back to verse 41. Jairus pleaded with him to come to his house. Please come to my house. Verse 51, what does it say? He came to his house. Men, if you invite Jesus in your house, he's going to show up. Now, there's a small issue here. 
It was an issue the text included that there's these massive crowds around Jesus, right? Everybody wants something from Jesus at this point. Heal me, help me, do this, do that. Crowds, it said they were nearly crushing him. And everywhere he goes, crowds would gather. They would press in on him. And Jairus shows up and pushes through the crowd. You you gotta come to my house. My daughter's sick, she's dying. And Jesus comes to his house. But guess who else came? The crowds that were following Jesus everywhere he went. Remember the situation. Jairus is a ruler, a leader of the synagogue. He's religious. He's part of what would likely be the upper class, the upper management in the Jewish system there. His reputation is at stake. His job is at stake. His his entire calling is at stake. And then he approaches this man, Jesus, who at this time was very controversial, right? Jesus was being called a friend of tax collectors. (gasps) How dare you hang out with tax collectors? He was a friend of sinners, they called. They called him a glutton, a drunkard, an illegitimate child, a person who did miracles by the power of the devil. Inviting this man into your home risks everything, even more so than simply seeking him out publicly. And yet that's exactly what Jairus did. Now when we put the story together from from all three accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, I think we get the whole picture. Right? Jairus comes to Jesus. My daughter is sick and dying. Can you please come heal her? Somebody shows up. Jairus, your daughter died. Stop bugging him. And then in Matthew, we get the detail where now knowing his daughter is dead, Jairus says, can you please come and lay your hands on her and she will be made well. Like this Jewish synagogue leader so believes in Jesus (laughs) had come to the end of himself and said, Jesus is the only hope and the only reality that, that, that he, he, he's had so much faith in Jesus is the point that he falls down in front of him publicly in worship and believes that Jesus has the power to raise her from the dead. Incredible faith. Incredible faith. He sought Jesus out and now he invites him into his home because he believed that only Jesus could do miracles in his family. And dads, that's real today. Only Jesus can do miracles in your family. I mean, you might be a really great dad, and that's good. You might be a godly dad, that's good, right? But you cannot do miracles in your family. Only Jesus can. And your kids need to see that. To where you put your hope and your faith and your trust so that they learn to put their hope, their faith, and their trust in the same exact place. Let them see, let your kids see dads, a dad who has invited Jesus into the home. You know, if Jesus is just some picture on the wall or a cross hanging in the hallway, that's not enough. They need to see that in your home, Jesus is a real person, that you have a real relationship with him at home. Yeah, let them see you put importance on, on gathering together with the church congregation, right? Yeah, that's an important thing. That's a valuable thing. But in that, don't let them only see you carry a Bible to and from church. Don't let them only see you open your Bible app when you're at church on Sunday. But let them see that you do that regularly. Let them see that you have this ongoing active relationship with Jesus every day as you're getting into his word and hearing from him and praying and talking to him, right? If they, if they see you pray at church but never see you pray at home, fix that, dads, fix it. 
Just fix it. I think a big reality is when you invite Jesus into your home and you have that active relationship with him, you're demonstrating that you, you care about protecting your home. And when you invite Jesus in, you are protecting your home. And really, that's, that's your responsibility, dads. You know, during Passover, there was this Jewish, um, Passover was this Jewish festival where they remembered the angel of death passing over when they were in Egypt, right? The angel of death was the, was the 10th plague, and it was the plague where the firstborn in all the land were killed unless the blood of the lamb was put on the doorposts and the lentils, right, on the top and the sides, making the sign of the cross. During this plague, when the, when the angel of death was coming over, the, the security of the family, the security of the home depended on this blood being placed. And guess whose responsibility it was to put the blood there? It was dad's responsibility. It was the head of the home's responsibility. And the picture there is just that the security of the family really did depend on the diligence and the obedience of the father. Dads, I'm gonna share something with you that you may know, and it may be new, I don't know. The devil wants to move into your home. He wants to move in. He's, he's bags packed. He's been sleeping on your doorstep. He's just waiting for an opportunity. He wants to move in. Don't let him. Don't let him. You know, say like Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We don't just pay lip service to the Lord here. No, we, we know him. We have a relationship with him. We, we engage with him. This is what men need to do in general, but especially dads. You're called to be the head of the home, and it's, a, it's an important calling, but the subsequent question is, who's the head of you? Is it Jesus or is it yourself? And sometimes that line gets a little blurred. And we need to just be reminded, you know, Jesus is the miracle worker. I'm a tool in his hand. And I'm ready and willing to, to, to do what I'm called to do, but, but Jesus is the miracle worker. So are you seeking after him, dads? Are you inviting him into your home? Is it well seen and established? Jesus lives here, and we have a relationship with him. And the third thing that this little girl saw from her dad was a dad who expressed and demonstrated his love for his kids. Look in verse 51 of Luke chapter eight. It says, after he came to the house, he let no one enter. Let no one enter with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Everyone was crying and mourning for her, but he said, stop crying because she is not dead but asleep. And they laughed at him because they knew that she was dead. Now, there's this testimony of her being dead dead in, in all the accounts of this story. And I point that out because sometimes, especially progressive Christians, look at a story like this and they go, oh, she wasn't really dead. They try and play off the miracle that Jesus does here. You know? and I just think it's funny that God, 2,000 years ago, when, when he was having Luke write this, was like, they laughed at him because they knew she was dead. Just making the point, right? She was dead. Now, but Jesus says, stop crying. She's not dead but asleep. What does he mean there? 
Well, the concept of a sleep was used metaphorically um, for death in the context of Jesus, in the context of the Christian's life, that, that we don't die, we fall asleep, because in the context of Jesus, death is temporary, right? Our physical body dies, but then we're, we're alive eternally. And we see this phrase in the New Testament a lot, when Lazarus died, Jesus said to his disciples, Lazarus is asleep, I'm going to wake him up. He was dead dead. They didn't get it. So you go back and you read the story and Jesus had to go, guys, he, he, he's dead dead. I'm speaking metaphorically, right? Stephen in the book of Acts was stoned to death. Luke's description, he fell asleep. The point for believers I think is that we don't have to fear death any more than we fear taking a nap. That's the reality. So, verse 54, Jesus took her by the hand and called out and said, child, get up. Her spirit returned and she got up at once. Then he gave orders that she be given something to eat. Her parents were astounded, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. There was this point in Jesus' ministry where he would do these miracles and he would be like, don't tell anybody because the time is not yet. Because once people started telling everybody and word got out, that really ramped up the persecution against him and ramped up the timeline. And Jesus knew the timeline, so he's like, don't tell people yet, right? But he does this miracle for this family. And, but I, I believe this whole episode, this whole story is motivated by, by Jairus' love for his daughter. This is a father showing his love for his daughter. You know, there was love in him, love for his daughter that made him get up and go seek Jesus, even at the risk of his reputation, the risk of his status, the risk of his job. He went out and he sought Jesus. He found Jesus. He did everything he could to get to Jesus. It was also his love that had him then invite Jesus into his home, even at the risk of all these crowds coming. And now they know where his home is, and they know that Jesus came in to, to, to eat with him in that sense, you know, and that was the big no-no at that time with Jesus. He loved his daughter. He loved her, and he demonstrated that love by risking his, his status, his standing, his reputation for her need in that moment. Now, we, we don't know how long this girl lived after this episode, you know? Um, but I can imagine that not a day went by where she didn't remember. Where she thought to herself, I'm alive. I'm here today. Because that time when I was 12 and I was so sick and I died, my dad, who was this leader in the synagogue and all these things, he, he went out despite all of that and sought Jesus and brought him home and made sure I met him. If she ended up having her own children, I'm sure there were stories where they would learn of, of grandpa who, who loved their mom so much that he risked everything to find that man Jesus and bring him home. It's in this act that he demonstrated to his daughter how much he loved her it's in this one act that we saw a dad that loved his kids enough that he unashamedly sought Jesus out, that he unashamedly brought Jesus into his home, and he unashamedly invited or introduced Jesus to his kids, and in doing that, expressed the greatest love that a dad can express for their children. Now, I want to close with a final thought here on Ephesians chapter 6 again. You know, that verse I read earlier, fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. 
Uh, there's one other possible reason that might you know, work with these other reasons of, of why Paul singled out fathers here. Um, because when you read the whole marriage and family section of Ephesians here in Ephesians 5 into 6, you'll notice, um, and we bring this up in, in weddings, you know, you'll notice that the husbands are commanded to love their wives, right? They're commanded to love their wives, and then the wives are commanded to respect their husbands. But you don't see it the other way around. The women aren't commanded to love their husbands, and the husbands aren't commanded to respect their wives, and, you know, the question is, why not? And what's often brought up, and I think, you know, uh, studies and in, 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 in family studies and stuff, you know, support a lot of this, that because general, generally loving and expressing and demonstrating love doesn't always come naturally to guys. It's not, it's not something that comes naturally to us, but, but it does seem to come naturally to women, at least way more so than guys. Loving, expressing love, doing loving things, Ladies, God just wired you that way. It just seems to be this natural thing. You don't have to think about it. Guys, well, unless someone smacks us on the head, we forget sometimes. Conversely, the whole respecting thing, in many cases, doesn't seem to come naturally to women. Women, to show respect, to, to demonstrate respect. You know, but guys, that, that comes naturally to us, right? We don't have to be commanded to respect and show respect because we get that, right? Got to respect one another. But nowhere in Scripture are wives ever commanded to love their husbands. It's not because you don't have to. It's because you just do it already. You do it already. But the men, they're commanded to love their wives. Commanded to do what might not come naturally to them, to to demonstrate their love, to show their love. But then they're also commanded specifically to nurture and train and raise up their children in the Lord. And I think it's because in many cases that doesn't naturally come or doesn't naturally come to dads either. You know, I think in today's world, a lot of dads, maybe this might pertain to you if you're listening this morning, I don't know, but, but in today's world, there's a lot of dads who would rather go play video games and let someone else handle the kids. They would rather say, you know what, I go to work and I pay the bills, I don't need to take responsibility for that as well. And they let other people do it. Or they say, you know, wife, it's your job. And they never engage with their kids. But you're supposed to. You need to. And I think that's part of at least why God commands you to here in Scripture. You know, I read an anonymous father quote that says, A hundred years from now, it will not matter what my bank account was, what sort of house I lived in, or what kind of car I drove. And I added this because of today's culture. It also will not matter how high I climbed the ladder in Call of Duty or what rank I was in League of Legends. But the world may be different because I was important in the life of a child. Now, I don't say that to somehow demean video games. I play video games. They're fun, okay? (laughs) There's nothing wrong with our entertainments. There's nothing wrong with with any of that type of stuff. But but this quote is sometimes we, we, we put emphasis where emphasis shouldn't be and neglect things that we should be paying attention to. You know, God, our Heavenly Father, He was important to us. He is important in our lives. He is everything that makes, that makes us who we are today. Everything. He is everything that makes us who we are today 
and for, forever. And because of him, because of the heavenly father, our heavenly father in our lives, our world is different as his children. So fathers, you have an important role to play in your children's lives today. To introduce them to Jesus Christ. To show them what a relationship with Christ looks like in daily practice. To, to teach them by example how to seek Jesus. To teach them the priority of that relationship by bringing it into your home and living that relationship in front of them regularly and consistently and showing them how much you truly love them by making sure that they know the love of their heavenly father. And you have everything you need to be successful in this calling. You really do. Because of your heavenly father who loves you so much He dwells within you, the Holy Spirit, empowering you to do everything you can't do on your own. To obey him, to love others, to love one another, to love your kids, to to care about the things that, that might simply be beyond you. But because of the Holy Spirit that dwells within you, you have everything you need to fulfill the calling that God has put before you. And we thank God for fathers. We thank God for those that are fathering in the lives of those without fathers. Continue to follow his example. Continue to, to, to follow what Jairus did here. Continue to look to Jesus. Continue to look to your heavenly father ultimately as the picture of who and how you should be as a dad in the lives of your kids. And continue to be empowered to do so by him who dwells within you. Amen? God bless you guys. Let's pray. Father, God, we applaud you because you are wonderful. God, we celebrate you today as our heavenly father because you are perfect. You are righteous. You are holy. You are patient. You are kind. You are gentle. God, you are faithful. God, you're everything we need, everything we will ever need. And we thank you, God, so much for being that to us. God, today we, we are here to, to, to recognize and honor those that, that you have called into fatherhood here on earth. Lord, those that, have, um, that are raising their, their, their own biological children, Lord, or even those who are raising their grandchildren or those who are, are, are being fatherly and mentoring in, in the lives of, of, of children that aren't their own, but who need dads. And God, we thank you for them. We pray, God, Lord, that, that every single dad hearing this message would, would continue. And if they're not, would begin today. As they are empowered by your Holy Spirit and filled with everything they need to pursue their calling and to do it, God, that they would seek you diligently no matter what. That, God, they would seek you not only for their own benefit, God, in their own relationship, but seek you as a way of example to those that they are raising and nurturing, and training in the Lord. That their kids would see what it's like to seek Jesus, to have the priority that Jesus is is number one and above and beyond all things. 
that knowing you is more important than anything this world has to offer. That they would learn how to, how to go after you no matter what, Lord. And that, God, they would also set the example of not just seeking you, but then knowing you and inviting you into their home. That, God, the homes that these fathers are in right now, Lord, that they would be um, an example of that relationship with you every day, God. That it wouldn't be just spiritual time once a week and, 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 and that's it. But, God, it would be a relationship that their kids would see. That they would see a dad who just wants to know Jesus more and more. A dad who studies and reads and prays and engages with you as his heavenly father, God. Lord, that they would know as they grow, as these kids grow, Lord, whether they're sons or daughters, Lord, that they would, they would see the, the, the type of person, Lord, if they're a daughter, that, that they should look to one day to marry a godly man who would be the head of his household and lead humbly, but lead diligently. Lord, if they're a son, that they would see in the example of their father the type of man that they should be and that they would want to aspire to that. That these dads would, would just be empowered, Lord, to really be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ, even to their kids. And that God's sons would grow up godly, with respect, with love, with goodness and morality. And that God kids would see the demonstration and the expression of love from their dads. Tangibly, God. Through the actions their dad takes to, to introduce them to Jesus and to make sure that they know Jesus Christ, the one who changes everything. God, we pray for dads who have been struggling in any of this, God, Lord. We pray for them right now as a church, God. We lift them up and say, God, empower them, strengthen them, speak to them, God. Lord, address whatever needs to be addressed, Lord, that they would get past whatever it is holding them back from being the godly father you've called and created them to be. Lord, those that have been doing these things diligently, Lord, bless them and continue to bless them and continue to give them opportunity to, to, to spread their knowledge and experience and all these things that are, that are a part of their relationship with God to, to others, to their kids, to other kids who don't have dads, Lord that it would just catch fire and change our communities. Lord, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's worship, guys.